All right. Good morning and welcome. It's um. I want to start. I want to start here. It's you know that you married the right woman if you can give her the signal for DRS and cricket, and she knows exactly what you need. Um, uh, no, welcome here with us this morning. If this is your first visit to Bikers Church, welcome. Thank you for being here. My name is Vanner, um, our senior pastor and his wife. They are away in Kronstadt um, just for the weekend. They will be joining us again next week. But you guys are here, and we are here, and we have a fantastic morning ahead of us. Well, I'm excited about it. Because this morning, I want to start us off by saying, I think I have it. I think I figured it out. I, th- I think I have the formula. Well, yes, it is my wife. I, I, that, but that's, we established that 15 years ago. Um, I found another answer to another problem. Hey, I'm, I, I am, uh, yes, I should stop bragging, shouldn't I? All right. So I have the problem, I have the answer to the question. Now, you sitting there and going, I didn't know that I had a question. Yes, yes, you did have a question. This morning, you had a question. That's why you came to church. And, and in some way, shape, or form, your question is, what is the formula to a successful spiritual life? Because all of us, at some level, is asking that question. That's why we land up in places like this. And, and that's why people ask you uncomfortable questions about who God is and what He is like, isn't it? Now, we know that there's some sort of formula. In the back of our minds, we're like, yes, I need to add some things, and I need to subtract other things, and I need to multiply certain things. We know being divided is an issue, so there's no division in, in, in this, is there? All right? But in all of that, voila! There it is, the result, the answer to what we've been looking for. Now, I know that you guys are looking at me very puzzled. All right, so let me continue explaining. They're like, why didn't they put that in in like Genesis? Genesis 1, verse maybe 2. You know, in the beginning, God, the formula to spiritual success, boom, there you go. Problem solved. Have a nice day. All right. So what is this formula? I won't keep you any longer. I will show you the formula on the board now. Yeah, check that out. All right. I even wrote it it out in like mathematical terms. I even wrote it out in mathematical terms. RT plus T minus F equals S. So write things plus time minus feelings equals success. Why didn't you guys ring out in in applause? I mean, that's the answer, isn't it? That's the way, isn't it? All right. The, The thing is this. Have I really cracked the code? You guys, you guys are scared of hurting my feelings, aren't you? All right. 
Let me ask you this. Is this it? Is, uh, is this the way that we do it? Is this the way of keeping God happy? Because that's, that's spiritual success, isn't it? It's appeasing the gods. I mean, keeping God happy. Isn't, isn't that spiritual success? And I don't like the way that you guys are doubting me in your, in your, in your looks, all right? Because here's the next question is, doesn't, doesn't doing the right thing for long enough, minus our pesky feelings, because everybody knows they get in, they get in the way, okay, minus our pesky feelings, uh, doesn't that ultimately give us spiritual success? Doesn't that... <laughs> Doesn't that get me to the end of this religious transaction? This deal that I'm in with God, all right? Doesn't that get me to a place where I'm in this wrestling match of faith? I've got God right where I want Him. And He has to give me what I need. Isn't that doing right things over a long time? Minus my pesky feelings. Shouldn't I get a result for all of that? Because we try, we try, we try so hard to earn God's acceptance. We try so hard to get this formula to work. But it seems like it's a bit of a futile exercise, doesn't it? We try to show Him how good we are. But the more we try to show Him how good we are, the more we realize how out of shape things really are in our lives. And, and, and the formula just has us slipping down the slope of it's not working, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. Because for so long, we've bought into this idea. I've bought into this idea. And I, I constantly have to check myself that I, I'm not there again. That my good Christian behavior arm wrestles God into a place where he has to give me my blessing. He has to give me what I need, what I want, the way I want it, the way I need it. And I'm sorry this morning for telling you that that's not the formula. And, and, and I'll be honest, as we go through this, you're going to realize that there isn't really much of a formula. Because God's much bigger than a formula, to be quite honest. And although I've ripped it all out of proportion, we do try to earn what God has already given us, don't we? God, God gives us salvation. He gives us grace. He gives us redemption. He gives us forgiveness. And then we try to live up to it. And then we're very, very disappointed in ourselves when we don't. Or some of us have just given up. It's like, I'll never get there. And, and you've also fallen into a bit of a trap of like, yeah, no, I've realized that I'll never get there because things are just getting worse and worse and worse. All right. Let's, let's jump into the Bible and, and just find some answers to these questions that we're facing this morning. In Colossians 1, from verse 19, it says the following. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth 
by means of Christ's blood on the cross. In other words, God has reconciled absolutely everything back to himself. The way he, he created the world. He was like, hey, when I made the world, I had this plan in mind that everything would be reconciled to me. And he, we messed it up through Adam and Eve. Many years went by. God's plan played out in Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. And God's, and God's saying that, hey, I got to reconcile everything back to myself through Christ. And this includes, verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he brought, he brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault verse 23 but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news the good news has been preached all over the world and i paul have a point i've been appointed as god's servant to proclaim it so what is this good news this good news is that we stand a chance to have a relationship with god to be reconciled to our creator. Not because we're good. Not, not because we can earn it or deserve it or work hard enough at it to get to it. No. Because God is good. And because that's what he wanted. And we get to live in the benefit of that. There's no formula to that, is there? Not, not, not really. There's no add some of this and take some of that away and get a result. No, there's just hand yourself over. Just be part of what God has for you, isn't it? Let me drive this point home. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10 says, no, 8 and 9. I said 10, it's only 9. Uh, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done, we have done. So, no, so none of us can boast. Simply saying that our salvation is a gift. Grace is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. And, and we need to just receive it and live in the benefit of it. And something we get for free. Mahala nux. Niet. Whatever else says no. All right. We read it in, in one of the best known scriptures in the world, John 3.16. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who believes. Uh, the older translation says, whosoever believes. And, and I love Ramon's explanation of, we are all whosoever's. We got renamed in that scripture. Because we are the whosoever's who get to believe and step into God's best. How do we do that? By believing. Not by keeping rules. Not by being better. Who knows that for a long time, 
The church has been expecting us to be better. And then maybe Jesus will do something for us. And if you wonder if you've bought into that, have you ever prayed for something and it hasn't come true and you thought, maybe it's the sin in my life. Maybe it's those people I hang out with. Maybe it's that thing I saw, that thing I said. Maybe it's this deal I did. And we try to earn God's favor by what we do. You see, that scripture doesn't say, whosoever keeps the rules to the point of impressing God will, be, will earn his favor. It says, whosoever, everyone, right? But believing is tough but be, because believing needs faith. And faith, well, it needs trust. And trust is something that we don't just give away, is it? Because trust comes by relationship and no other way. But I think now for the first time this morning, we might be onto something. Relationship. True spiritual success is caught up in a person. It's based on the person of Jesus Christ. It's not, not entrusting some process. It's, it's not entrusting some procedure. It's not entrusting some formula. It is entrusting the person of Jesus Christ. Entrusting our God. But as humans, we find the idea of a free gift kind of hard to wrap our minds around. It's not something that we're used to. We live in a universe where we often get told there's no such thing as a free lunch. If you, if you got a free lunch, the guy who paid for it, paid for it. In other words, the, the guy who sponsored you paid for it. The guy who you ate with and said, no, 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 I'll get this one. He paid for it. Or maybe he got a voucher. And so ultimately the restaurant paid for it. Uh, or maybe they got some free produce. So the farmer paid for it. And so the story goes, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And, and because we live in this universe and somebody's paid for it, and we're good people, we kind of live by this idea, I will never be in your debt, whoever you are. And so I will do my best to make it up to you. I will invite you to dinner. Because you have to one-up the, oh, you, know, you know, you can't just, you know, he got you, he spotted you for lunch, so you have to do dinner, you know, or, or a braai or something better than just lunch, you know. You, you, you figure it out. I had a croissant and I had coffee. Is that about 60 bucks? Yeah, well, yes, it's going to be a, you know, where do you go for dinner for like 75 bucks, you know? Because you can't, I mean, you, you can only do so much, all right? Let's be honest in all this. But we do, we try to, to not be in anybody's debt. And then when we, when we hear that we have received these free gifts from God, we immediately slip into this idea that I need to make it up to him. In all honesty, if, if God's grace and goodness and love was the gift we got, if that was just lunch, what are we going to have to do to pay for dinner? To what extent are we going to have to extend ourselves 
to pay off this debt that we are only hanging on ourselves. All right. Let me explain it to you this way. The point of a free gift is that it has to be accepted and enjoyed to its full. Because then that is all the payment the giver needs. Have you ever, and if you don't have a child, give, another, give somebody else's child a gift, all right? But give them something that they've been hoping for, something that they've been trusting for. My, my boy have received a few things in his life, and at one stage, I can't even remember, like literally, I tried to remember what it was, and I couldn't remember what it was. It was the most menial thing ever, but family gave him this little toy and his reaction was I've always wanted one of these I'm like dude you're three it's like you're always is this long but he was like in tears and he was playing with it and the whole world stopped for that little thing that is all the payment required for a gift accept it and enjoy it to the full. Uh, my wife and myself, um, we just got married, and our first little car was a Japanese model. It was a, uh, no, it was a Daihatsu Sherrod, a 1983 model. It was exactly my age. Um, it, uh, it was 993 cc's of, of Japanese muscle. Uh, they, in fact, at one stage I was so convinced that um, even the Japanese was, was stressing about this. It only had one mirror, uh, you know, to, for aerodynamics and sparing weight, things like that. Um, I was convinced that if you kicked it down a mine shaft flat out, it'll still do less than... Uh, <laughs> terminal velocity. <laughs> no, I loved that car. It was a brilliant car. Um, but I was a student at that stage. I was still at Bible school. This was our first year of marriage. And um, as you know, the Bible in, in, in Proverbs says that your money grows wings and you watch it fly away. That's kind of your first year of marriage. Um, it, it, it sprouts wings and it flies away. And I think it sprouted wings and flew into a daihatsu. Uh, because I remember one day on my way to Bible school, um, there was this uphill that every day you got stuck in, in traffic. And so you kind of like, you know, you've got, you've got, you need three hands to work this thing. You've got the handbrake up and you've got your hand on the gear lever and many things has to happen at the same time. And one day, as I'm slowing down up this hill, and it was nice and traffic-y, there was people everywhere. As I got it into second, I heard a sound that I've never heard before. The kind of sound that sinks your heart into your shoes, and it came from over there somewhere. And I realized that that might be the last gear that has been, ever been selected in this little car. And now I'm halfway up a hill in peak hour traffic in Randburg. 
And so I'm doing everything inside of me to get this thing out a second. And as I look up, I realize some, by some miracle, nobody's behind me. So I run it back a little and suddenly it, it goes straight out a second, glock into first. And I'm like, yes, I can get up the hill. And so I do, I get up the hill and I'm parked there. And after a bit of fiddling and faffing, I, 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 it is now decided that one, three, and five is your best friends. And so I sickled to Bible school and I sickled home and we got our little car fixed. But through all of this, and there was a few other things that was, that was special about it at that stage. But through all of this, um, a family had just upgraded their, their little car and um, they heard of our troubles and, and not because they pitied us, but literally out of the goodness of their hearts, they decided that they were going to give us their car. Didn't tell us a thing. So one Friday night with a lot of family and friends and fanfare, the next moment they stick these, the set of keys into Lynette's hands and they're like, go drive your car. And we're in tears and, and, and I remember literally standing next to the car and, and we're holding the keys and, and, and we're waiting for someone to give us permission to get into the car. And so finally we get into the car and then you're sitting there with the keys in your hand and, and you're waiting for someone to give you permission to put the keys into the ignition and start it up. And then you're waiting for permission for somebody to tell you, okay, no, it's, a, it's fine, you can drive it around the parking lot. And so we do, we drive it around the parking lot and they're like, okay, you can switch the radio on too, all right? The next morning, I remember waking up and um, the first thing you do is you jump up and you run to the window and you go, it's still there. It wasn't just a dream, you know? And um, I even remember us kind of giggling at each other going, do you think it's okay if we go for breakfast, you know? But, but we deal with our gift of salvation and everything else that God gives us much the same. It's like, thank you so much. Can I use it? it I don't know. Should I use it? Can I use it? Rather than jumping in and jumping into the benefit of it, accepting it as our own, and living in the benefit of it. We always live with, how much do I owe you? How will I ever be able to say thank you enough? Because believe me, when, you, when someone gives you a car, you realize that thank you just doesn't cut it. Thank you kind of feels empty. You're like, thank you? I think, you know, my mom didn't tell me what to say when I, somebody does this. My mom told me what to say when somebody brings you coffee, you know, buys you dinner. But a car, how much bigger is what God has given us? And let me be honest with you, there isn't words. There isn't works. But there is accepting and there is enjoying the fullness of what we have received. So it's really hard to wrap around around these concepts, around these concepts. So we struggle to come to terms with salvation. We struggle to come to terms with our forgiveness. We struggle to come to terms with the gifts that God has given us. We get to enjoy them and live in the freedom of them. Because we'll never be able to repay him for it. But the best part of it is that we'll never be in his debt. 
He'll never hold it over you. There's not the sword hanging over us going, I'm going to check you out, and if you do, I, I'm going I'm to get you. If, you, if you. if you just use it badly, I'm going to get you. No. No, there's just more of it available to us. God gives us all this so that we may have the privilege of one thing, a relationship with him. A place where we get up in the morning and go, thank you, Lord, that I can be alive. Lord, some of the things I see in my life are a bit wonky. And I, in fact, I think some of the places in my life is on fire, but I, I know that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And that we can get through this. I'm not in this alone. We get to have a relationship with him. The first church considered themselves to be atheist. Or against religion because for them they said that religion is our efforts to get to God but honestly God has come to us we saw him we ate with him we saw him do the miracles he slept in the same houses that we slept in God has come to us it wasn't the other way around. We don't need to try to get to him. In fact, it's, it's Hebrews that says, it's, it's for the joy set before him, Jesus endured everything that he endured. And what's the joy that was set before him? A relationship with you and me. Faith is a relationship. If there's a formula, it's relationship. <laughs> it's not a transaction. It's not a deal that we get to make with God. A great measure of, of this, of where I stand in, in, in my relationship with God is, is how I pray. Have you ever listened to yourself pray? It's weird, but we get to measure ourselves quite, quite accurately through that. If you listen to your prayer life, does it sound like you're at a McDonald's drive-thru? Hi, yes, I'd like the number one, uh, supersized. Uh, yeah, yeah, with the drink. Uh, my wife needs uh, number two, no, no, the grilled chicken one. Yes, thank you very much. And then, I, oh, I remember this guy in another place, he needs, he needs this. And, 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 oh yeah, that family, they needed that. And, uh, hey, while you add it, can you also do this? And, and, you know, uh, do we pray like that? We, we sincerely, though. It's like, Lord, will you please? Can you just? I need this and I need this and I need this. Or is our prayer lives soaked in love and filled with thankfulness? And is it a conversation with someone we're getting to know? Or maybe someone we already know. Is there reverence? Yes. Is there respect? Absolutely. But I'm very aware that God answers my prayers on the toilet as much as he answers my prayers on my knees in front of my bed. Why? Because we have a relationship.
Jesus called his disciples by this simple phrase, come, follow me. And it doesn't look like their shortcomings or their hang-ups or their mistakes or their background ever bothered him. His, his invitation was always come and follow me. This morning I want to reiterate this. Jesus invites us into relationship. Not some behavior modifi modification program. Not into extreme makeover behavior addition. All right? It's not get good and then get God. No, it is step into what God has for you. Figure out who he is and what he is like. By spending time with him, things will change. Because I don't need to tell you what you're doing wrong. You know what you're doing wrong. All right? I don't need to point fingers. We all have these things in our lives where we're like, I struggle with this and I struggle with that. I'm so hoping that nobody sees. I'm so hoping that nobody finds out. I don't need, I don't need to point fingers because I've got those areas in my life too. All right? You see, the thing is, God doesn't want us to try to get worthy of what he has for us. Because we'll, we'll spend our lives trying to earn it. No, he wants us to step into a relationship where we get to know him, who he is and what he is like. We get to know ourselves. And we get to know what his heart is for us. We get to learn that he has our best at heart at all times. And that he has done everything in his power, which is more than enough for us to step into relationship with him and have the best from him. When we start to realize this, and when we start to live in the benefit of this, we start believing that Jesus is who he truly says he is. And then that following and believing takes a next step where we start obeying what he says in his word. Where we don't read the Bible with the filter of how does it suit me. But we read the Bible with what's God's heart for me. When something offends me in the Bible, I don't go, these guys have it wrong. When I read something in the Bible that offends me, I go, maybe I am wrong. Maybe God is more than what I'm seeing. Maybe God is more than what I'm thinking. It's tough stuff, but it's the truth, isn't it? All right. In this obedience, in this, in this following, in this, in this believing, in this obedience, we, we start getting to a place in our lives where, where we start trusting God beyond what is normal. Beyond what is conventional wisdom. Your friends start asking you, are you sure about this? Are you convinced you should be doing this? And you say, it might not look like the right option, but that's the one that I have the most peace with. Because that's where I know God is. And we start doing things that are out of our old character, but into the character that God has always had for us. Because we're growing. One of my favorite examples in the Bible 
is a guy called Zacchaeus. Um, if you remember the song from when you were small, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Uh, he was he was short, uh, pretty much. And we we read about Zacchaeus in 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 Luke 19. He was a chief tax collector, and he'd become very very rich on the backs of his own people. He heard about Jesus, and all he wanted to do was get a glimpse of Jesus. All right. He, he was a prominent man in his town. But he, uh, and if you know anything about Jewish culture, if you're a prominent person, you can invite people over and they'll find it an honor to go to your house. But he was like, I'm not worthy. I just want to see Jesus. I just want just to know that that's out there, that there is a Messiah and there is hope. And maybe by some backdoor way I can get into it. So we have Zacchaeus, who doesn't feel worthy of meeting God face to face. But Jesus, well, Jesus being Jesus, he has other ideas. So we find Zacchaeus up in a sycamore fig tree, having a look at where is Jesus in this crowd as the crowd moves by. Now, Luke 19 and verse 5 says, When Jesus came by and looked up at Zacchaeus, and then, sorry, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. How often does God confront us with that? I don't feel worthy. Maybe if I can just see you at a, at, a, at a distance. We sit in church and we're like, God is up here and I'm over there. And if I can just see him at a distance, I'll be fine. And this morning I want to say that Jesus says, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your house today. Isn't it the best when Jesus invites himself for dinner? See, Jesus was looking for a relationship Knowing that that's the way to win a heart, to change a heart. Verse 7. But the people were displeased. We always have those, don't we? He's gone to be with the guest, he's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. You have some of those people in your life, don't you? You know, those people who tell you what you're doing wrong over and over and over again. Uh, you don't need the devil in your life. They're, they're the accusers in your life. All right. This is a bad time to put up your hand. Uh, but while the people grumbled, while everybody had something to say, Zacchaeus had a meeting with the living God. He got to meet Jesus. He got to speak to him and find out for himself who Jesus is and what he is like. And it changed his life forever. Verses 8 and 9 says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, uh, to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. To which Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. Not because he gave his money away. 
No. But because of his relationship with Jesus, his heart changed. And some things followed. You see, he followed Jesus. And he saw with his own eyes the love that God treated him with and treats other people with. And so he started believing that God is who he says he is. And he wanted to respond. And the only way to respond to love is with love. And that's what Zacchaeus did. See, relationship leads to obedience. That leads to greater faith. That leads to greater relationship. That leads to greater obedience. That leads to greater faith. That leads to more intimate relationship. That leads to, do you get what I'm saying? It is this perpetual thing. But it starts with a relationship. It starts with, Lord, I need you. I want to speak to you. I've heard that you have a plan. Will you tell me about it? And trust me, he will. As the band comes back up. If you've gotten into a relationship with Jesus, if you're one of those Jesus people, but you've been trying to figure out the formula, this morning I want to set you free from that. There's no formula. There's just a relationship. Stop trying to get to him because he's already come to us. That's what we get to celebrate this morning in communion is the fact that Jesus came to us. He's already done all the work for us to have the full benefit, but we need to accept it. All right. That relationship will change you. It'll challenge you. It will shape you into who God has created you to be. So this morning, as the ashes hand out the communion elements, I want to I pray that as you receive them, just hold on to them for a little bit. They're going to they're gonna sing new wine just one more time. When we're done with the song, we're going to take part in communion together. And this morning, we're just living out what Jesus told us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this as a celebration of the relationship that you have with me. And so that's how we want to enter into communion this morning. Just remembering what Christ has done for us. The price he's paid, the forgiveness, the salvation, the redemption that he freely gives us and that we stop trying to earn or deserve it, but that we simply step into the benefit of it.